0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I suppose we'll probably have some late stragglers with uh, the rain and the weather, but um, I want to go ahead and get started so that we can start on time and end on time. The thought primer for the day, and we'll pick up on this question in a little bit, uh, come on, you're welcome. Um, is, is this, how might you respond to someone who says, it's arrogant to say that you know that you have eternal life? And will be with God forever. So that ought to just get you thinking about what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Because sometimes people say that. It's kind of arrogant to say, you know you have eternal life. (laughs) Well, is it? What does God's word say about it? Before um, I open with prayer, just want to let you all know that if she hasn't already, um, my assistant Joy Avra... Is going to reach out to you all about Sunday morning reservations. If you'd like for her to make a reservation for you at the late service or the early service, she's happy to do that. Um, throughout the, throughout your time in foundations, that way it's just one less thing that you've got to bother about. So that that's um, be on the lookout for for Joy's email uh, regarding reservations. Well, why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer? If you you want to read along, you can read along or you can just um, close your eyes. Good morning, Catherine, good to see you. This is a prayer that comes out of uh, the ACNA, Anglican Church in North America, has put together a catechism, which is basically a book of, of questions. We'll talk about what catechism is later on in the course. But it um, has a prayer, a series of prayers in that catechism, and this one is for growth in the knowledge and love of God the Father. So let's begin with that prayer. Almighty God, who so loved the world that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of love by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours as your sons and daughters and live to to your praise and glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. So that prayer, the one little phrase that's in there that's going to connect to what we're talking about today is this, that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours as your sons and daughters. That's what God wants for you to be able to do, to delight in your inheritance. And we're going to talk about how we can do that as Christians today. Last week, we pressed into the question, what is the heart of Christianity? And on the face of it, that might seem like a question with an obvious answer, but as we talked about, people actually have lots of different answers to that question, answers that don't really um, jibe with each other. And uh, we began by talking about what the heart of Christianity is not, that it's not a code of conduct, it's not a creed of beliefs, it's not a cult, um, it's not about being a good person or believing the right things, or going to church, as important as all those things are, and so what is it? Is anyone willing to to um, answer or fill in the sentence? The heart of Christianity is Jesus. 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 It's the person of Jesus. Very good, Catherine. You get a plus. Give that girl a cookie. Yes, it's it's the person of Jesus. And so, if the heart of Christianity is a person, the person of Jesus, then what is it? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? If the heart is a person, to be a Christian is what? Relationship. Yes, Joe, yes, right on, give that man a cookie. Yes, it's, it's to have a relationship, learn to have a relationship with this man. And that's a lifelong journey. Frankly, like all relationships. If you've had a friendship from childhood, the, the, the nature of your friendship when you were little is different than the nature of your friendship now that you have grown older. So, yes, so to be a Christian is to learn to have a relationship with that man. Um, It means knowing Christ as friend, trusting him as Savior, and obeying him as Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian. Well, we ran out of time last week, and so I encourage you all to read the tail end of chapter one of our book, because it's there that John Stott answers the question, okay, we've talked about what the heart of Christianity is, we've talked about what it means to be a Christian. How do I become a Christian? Like, How does that actually happen? And I just want to say, if last week was the first time that you had heard the news that the heart of Christianity is a person, if that was like, boy, I don't think I've ever heard that before. If you haven't had a chance to read those handful of pages, I'd encourage you to do so. Because there, John Stott talks about what he calls the ABCDs of becoming a Christian, that to become a Christian, we have something to admit, something to believe, something to consider, and something to do. So I'd encourage you, um, again, to to read that if if this whole notion of Christianity as a relationship is new because that will help you to step into that relationship, what John Stott has to say there. Well, today we are going to press into another question. The question is this. How can I be sure that I am a Christian? And you might say, no, wait a second. Why do we have to talk about that? Doesn't, Doesn't everybody know whether or not they are a Christian? But I have been ordained almost for 20 years, and I have come to learn that the church is full of people who do not know the answer to that question. Or at least not in a way that would allow them to, as the prayer said, delight in their inheritance. We want to be able to answer that question in such a way that we can delight in what God has given us. Good morning, fellows. Welcome. How are you guys doing? Help yourselves to some coffee. All right. Um, And I've learned this that by doing um, a lot of funerals, funerals have a way of revealing all sorts of beliefs that are kind of deep down inside. Those things can begin to bubble up when we lose someone that we love. And I have listened to many a widow say something along these lines. I I remember one man in particular, dear man, grew up in the church. He said, pastor, my wife was an angel. And I said, yes, sir, she she was a wonderful, lovely woman. He said, pastor, I just hope I can be good enough to be with her in heaven. Now, when someone says that, what what is he trusting in? What is he hoping in? Himself. I hope I can be good enough. And friends, there's no assurance in that as we're going to talk about. Such a person really is in the same spot that John Wesley or the Apostle Paul were in prior to their conversion that we talked about last week. But when a person receives the good news of the gospel, that Christianity is at its heart Jesus Christ, then that news will begin to bring with it a blessed assurance. So the Christian will never feel like he has to say, I hope I can be good enough to be with, uh, to join my wife in heaven. No no matter what uncertainties we might face in life, and we're going to face all sorts of uncertainties, like when is this pandemic going to be over? Who knows? Total uncertainty. But the one thing we should not be uncertain about is our place with God, our place with God, our standing before God. That's what we're going to talk about today, because, friends, God wants us to have a blessed assurance there is a great old Baptist hymn. My, both of my parents grew up in the Baptist church. We sometimes sing it here at St. Philip's. And, um, and I'm going to sing it. It's Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is, goes on and on. Blessed Assurance. That's what God wants us to have, blessed assurance. And friends, when you read the New Testament, you will find a spirit of quiet, joyful confidence throughout. I'm going to put some verses up here on the board. Don't worry about turning to them um, in your Bible. We're going to look at some verses in the Bible later on today. But just let these verses wash over you, what we read in God's word. Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy, I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Blessed assurance. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God. Blessed assurance. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And notice here how in this last passage, eternal life is not described as something in the future. Like this isn't heaven in the great by and by after you die. He's talking about eternal life as something here and now. He doesn't say that you will have eternal life, but that you have eternal life. Eternal life, my friends, is is, is the new light that is given to us in the here and now when we realize that Jesus has saved us from the sting of death and that he enables us to have a relationship with God in this life. In the gospel according to John, Jesus said this about eternal life. He said, "Now, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life in the here and now. Abundant life. You see, this eternal life, again, it begins now through a relationship with God, and it's going to be perfected in heaven. Now, before we talk about how we can have this assurance that the New Testament describes, I want to give you all four reasons why this assurance is so incredibly important. The first reason is because spiritual valleys are going to come. Every Christian is going to face seasons of doubt and discouragement. In fact, uh, today's sermon that Justin preached, I heard him preach at 8.15, he'll be preaching again at at 10.30, does a wonderful job of talking about this, talking about what do we do in times of discouragement? How how, How does God provide for us in times of discouragement? So what we're talking about today is going to be important for that reason. Secondly, God enjoys for us to have and enjoy eternal life now. Like that opening prayer I prayed, that we might, as the prayer said, delight in our inheritance. He means for us to delight in our inheritance in the here and now. Well, you can't delight in it if you don't know you got it. I'll tell you all a a story. When I was um, a little boy, probably about maybe second or third grade, one Christmas, my granddad made for us a little wooden go-kart. That's not the actual go-kart, but it looked kind of like that. But here's how it happened. We were at my, morning, at my grandfather's house, grandparents' house, and um, my older brother and my older cousin, who they were about the same age, and they were, a little, they were kind of pranksters. They always liked to kind of yank our chain. They came in and said, hey, come out and see what granddad made for us. So we come out, and I see my brother being pushed around by his cousin on, on this go-kart. And again, I, they were always trying to get me and my younger brother and, and a younger um, my younger cousin, Mary. And so I, I just somehow in my little mind, I thought, that granddad didn't make that for us. It's too good to be true. I bet my cousin saw that in somebody's yard next door, went and grabbed it, and is just trying to get me on it so that he can go and say, granddad, granddad, you know, Andrew's playing on somebody else's go-kart. So my younger brother and I went back into the house and we said, granddad, did you, did you really make those, th- those go-karts for us? And he said, yes, I did. And it was only when I knew that it really was ours that we could go back out inside, hop on the little go-kart and enjoy it. Well, eternal life is, is the same way. Blessed assurance is the same way. You, you can't have it unless you, you know that it's yours. And we're meant to know, to be confident that we have um, this gift of eternal life. So that's the, the second reason that we would have and, uh, and enjoy eternal life now. Thirdly, um, God wants us to have a, a, this Christian assurance, this blessed assurance, um, because it's meant to give us a peace of mind. Paul put it in this way in his letter to the Philippians. He said, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, this should sound familiar, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a peace that God wants to put on us in the midst of a world that is so chaotic. So that's the third reason this Christian assurance is so important. And and before I move on to the next and fourth and final reason that is so important, I just want to call out, Jesus is very clear, the whole Bible is very clear, but Jesus in particular, that there is a spiritual realm that is very real and that not everything in the spiritual realm is good. In fact, we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, the adversary uh, known as Satan in the Bible, the devil. And this adversary wants nothing more than to chip away at your blessed assurance, to say to you things like, God could never forgive you, and he'll try to drag things back up from your past. And you need to be able to say, no, I'm a child of God, and you cannot take that away from me. We need to be aware of that. Fourthly, Christian assurance um, is so helpful because it allows us to help other people. Um, we're meant not just to have this blessed assurance and keep it all to ourselves, but to share it with others. And, and again, how can we share it if we don't know that we've got, got it? So these are the four reasons that Christian assurance is so important. Now, some might inject, object and say, come on, isn't it a little bit arrogant to say that you're sure that God loves you and has saved you? I mean, isn't that a little bit... Um, a little bit much, because there are people who will say that. That was the question I asked you there at the beginning for those who were um, at the beginning for that, for that thought primer. But if you just stop and think about it, this assurance that we're talking about, it's not arrogant at all. In fact, it's a little bit humiliating in a sense. It's humbling. Because our assurance comes from admitting that we cannot save ourselves and that we, we, we are not good enough for God that we're sinners in need of God's forgiveness. So, So this assurance is based on God. It's not based on us. So it's not arrogant at all. So this is why Christian assurance is so important. But where on earth do we go to find it? That's what I want to talk about now. Because sometimes people will often look in the wrong place for their blessed assurance. When I was pastoring up in a little church in the town of Darlington, South Carolina, about two hours north of here, 26, you go to Interstate 26, and then up 95 near Florence, every year we would have a good old-fashioned Easter egg hunt. Now, I'm not talking about a newfangled Easter egg hunt with the plastic eggs and the candy inside. No, this is a real Easter egg hunt with real eggs that had been hard-boiled and dyed and, and, and decorated by parishioners and had been taken out to old Farmer Ben's farm and hidden for all the children. A real Easter egg hunt. There were cookies afterwards, but but hard-boiled eggs that they were looking for. And every year, as the children of, not only of the church, but really of the town, would would gather around, old Farmer Ben would come out, and he would say, now children, come and gather around. And he was not a very loud-spoken person, so they'd have to kind of gather in close. And he would say to them, now, when you go to look for the eggs, they're all going to be found all over here. You won't find any eggs over here. Because over here was near a highway. And while it wasn't a super busy highway, when people rode down that highway, they, they went down at a pretty good clip. And of course, you don't want children near the highway. So you didn't hide eggs near this side. Go over this side. This is where the eggs are. And every year, where did the children go? <laughs> they went over here and, and we can kind of be the same way God says this is where I want you to find your blessed assurance but sometimes we have a tendency to kind of creep back over to here for example like the man I mentioned in the beginning who was hoping he could be good enough to be with his wife sometimes we can creep back to thinking our assurance is in being a good person and we need to know no that that's not where I need to look for my blessed assurance I need to look over here so what is over here well we find this assurance in the tripod of the work of god the son the word of god the father and the witness of god the holy spirit let's begin with the work of god the son that is the work of salvation which jesus christ accomplished when he died on the cross now again going going back to the man i talked about whose wife had died again what is what is he hoping in what was he hoping in Himself, his own good works, his ability to be a good person. But friends, we should not place our hope there. Because if the object of my faith is me, in other words, if I'm counting on myself to be able to live a good enough life in order to be with God forever, there's no peace of mind in that belief system. There's no blessed assurance because there's no way of knowing how do I measure up on God's scale? Actually, I know the answer of how I measure up on God's scale, truth be told, because as you draw closer to God and to God's goodness, then you realize, as we talked about last week, you realize how our works are nothing but filthy rags, as the prophet Isaiah put it. So I know my standing and is not good. But if, on the other hand, we put our faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. If our salvation depends on him, then we can have peace because I'm no longer having to worry about, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I been kind enough? As that sweet old hymn puts it again, another good Baptist hymn. I love it. I don't know if we sing it here at St. Philip's. Um, We may have, but it's a great one. Uh, My hope... My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own, I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The reason that all other ground is sinking sand is, you know, I I mean... Who knows what the rest of my life will hold? And while I hope that I'll be doing good things, the truth is I know the human heart well enough to know that circumstances might come where I might not do good things. So I don't want to trust in myself. I want to trust in the solid rock of Jesus Christ because his work, my friends, is already accomplished. Open your Bible, if you would, to John. This is the gospel according to John. So beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're using the classroom Bible, it's page 906. And let's look at what Jesus said about this, or or what is said about his cross, rather. And just to get you oriented, we are at the tail end of Jesus' life. He is literally hanging on the cross, and we're going to look at what he says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished finished. In other words, his work of salvation on the cross is done. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be done to receive it, but to receive him in faith. It is finished. That is the solid rock of our blessed assurance. So we look to the finished work of God, the Son, the cross of Jesus Christ for our blessed assurance. If you ever wear is jewelry, um, a cross, or if you've got a little lapel pin that's a cross, when you look at that, let that be a reminder. That's where my assurance lies. That's where my hope is. Not dependent on me. Thanks be to God. Well, we also look to the word of God, the father for our blessed assurance. It might be that some of you are saying, well, how do we know if we put our faith in Jesus Christ um, that we can receive God's forgiveness and have this everlasting and eternal life? And the answer is God's word says so. <laughs> Turn with me, if you would now, to 1 John. Now, now, we look before at the gospel according to John. These are some letters of John. There three, first, second, third John. It's near the tail end of the Bible. Um, if you're using your own Bible, no shame in using the table of contents, but if you're using the classroom Bible, it's page 1023. John writes this, if we receive the testimony of Ben, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Friends, this passage is just the tip of the iceberg. The New Testament is full of... A witness, a, a consistent witness that it is through faith in Jesus Christ and his cross that we receive this eternal life. In fact, if you turn to page five of your field guide, just take a quick look with me, um, pages five and six, you'll find a, a whole list of. Um, Passage of, uh, passages of scripture that contain these promises of God. And one of the things I'm going to ask you to do this week is just to spend a little quiet time. I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes reading through this list and maybe selecting those that speak most to you in this particular season of your life. But, but God's word is full of his promises. So we look to the word of God for our Assurance. It's important, I think, to pause here and talk about the role of feelings in our assurance. Friends, when it comes to your standing with God, I want to encourage you not to turn to your feelings. Uh, Don't ignore them. They're important. Our emotions are part of our humanity. They're a gift from God. God himself has emotions, as we'll read about later in the class. But when it comes to our assurance, our emotions can actually be a little bit counterproductive. And this is difficult for us to hear in our culture, because our culture doesn't really ask, is it right? Is it true? No, the primary question of our culture is, how does it make you feel? And so to be told that to find our assurance we should not look to our feelings, this is very countercultural. The problem with our culture's focus on feelings when it comes to blessed assurance is that feelings come and go. I mean, I can eat the wrong thing for breakfast and I'm crabby. It's true. <laughs> our feelings are influenced by how much is in our bank account. Um, for me, whether Christmas is ahead of me or behind me, I always get a little case of the post- christmas blues sometimes we'll wake up feeling down in the dumps and we don't know why we're blue everything is going great maybe we ate the wrong thing for the night before who knows my point is that because feelings come and go they're not the place to look to find the assurance that god loves you friends some days you are going to feel god's love thanks be to god that's a gift but some days you are not going to feel his love Don't make the mistake of thinking, if I don't feel God's love, he doesn't love me. That's not true. So that's why it's important to be aware of our feelings, but to not pin our hopes and our blessed assurance on where our feelings are. Focus instead on what God's word tells us, that he loves us at all times and that he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus himself said, all that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never, no, not never, cast out. John Bunyan is the author of Pilgrim's Progress, um, wrote it in the 17th century. It's arguably the first novel written in the English language. It's an allegory about the Christian journey, the journey that you all are on. And the main character is a man named Christian. And in one of the scenes of the book, Christian learns a lesson about finding assurance in the Word of God, the Father. What we're talking about this morning, Christian has a companion named Hopeful, and they found themselves imprisoned in Doubting Castle, held captive by the cruel and pitiless giant, Despair, Despair. Which again, Justin is talking about this morning in the sermon. Great sermon. Days pass. They're locked up in into this uh, locked up in in Doubting Castle. And there seemed to be no possibility of escape for for Christian and his friend, Hopeful. Until one night, as they prayed, Christian made a wonderful discovery, which he shared immediately with his friend, Hopeful. What a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty Why, I have a key in my bosom called promise." that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And in, in fact, using the key, promise, the door flew open with ease and the prisoners escaped with speed. Friends, look to the promises recorded in the word of God for your blessed assurance. You need to anchor your assurance in these promises. That's the key that will set you free in seasons of doubt. Now, before we move on to the the third place that we look, I want to say something about a a particular gift that God has given us in terms of his word. God created us. He created us not only with a soul, with a spirit, but also with bodies. We're, We're physical creatures with the five senses. You know, what is it? Taste, smell, sight, feeling... Thank you. Yes, (laughs) whoever said it. Hearing, yes, with the five senses. God knows that. God, God gave us these senses. And so, one of the things that He has done as a gift for us, as part of our blessed assurance, is He's taken some of these promises that were written in His Word and He's wrapped them up in tangible gifts that we in the church call sacraments. Now, we're going to talk about sacraments more later on in the course, but let me just introduce you to the textbook definition of what a sacrament is. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign. So it's something I should be able to, you know, touch, feel, taste, use my five senses to interact with. Outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us the sign as a means whereby we receive that grace and as a tangible, here it is, assurance that we do, in fact, receive it. Jesus gave us two sacraments. Can anybody tell me what they are? Baptism and and Holy Communion, also known as uh, uh, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or the Great Thanksgiving. Yep, those are the two sacraments. And we have some sacramental rites that we'll talk about, but these are the two sacraments. And he gave them to us to encourage us, to assure us. So for example, every time there's a baptism, that's an opportunity for you to be encouraged. So then when the water is being poured over that little baby, if it's a baby, or over the adult, if it's an adult, and, and, and the words are being said, l- let those words be said about you, that the blood of Christ has washed you clean. When you see that water coming over, yes, say, thank you, Lord Jesus, you have washed me clean by your blood. Take it as an opportunity to be encouraged. Likewise, <laughs> Jesus gave us the gift of Holy Communion <clears throat> to be a kind of weekly spiritual uh, source of nourishment. And we're reminded of this purpose of Holy Communion. Every time we finish the Communion service, we pray the same prayer. It's called the prayer of Thanksgiving. And in that prayer, we pray this. Almighty and ever-living God, we most heartily thank thee for that thou dost feed us in these holy mysteries, for the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here it is. And dost assure us thereby. Of what? Of thy favor and goodness towards us. And that we are very members, incorporated in the mystical body of thy Son, the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope of thy everlasting kingdom. God wants to give you that assurance every time you come forward and receive Holy Communion. That's the gift that he wants to give you. He wants to remind you first and foremost that it is by his body and blood that he has covered every sin. So when we receive communion, we're we're taken, of course, to the cross. But we also come forward to receive, to be reminded, there is a place set for each of us at God's Holy table. That's what the Bible tells us. At the end of time, while there's a lot of uncertainty about what may happen next week or next month or next year, there's no uncertainty about how it's all going to end. For the people of God, it's going to end with a party, with a marriage feast. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. And there's going to be a great feast at a great table, and there's going to be a place with your name on it, and your name on it, and your name on it, and your name on it, your name on it, your name on it, and so on. And when you receive that little piece of bread, I know it's kind of small, but you're to be reminded, thanks be to God, I know where this is all headed. I'm headed for the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there's going to be a place for me. Thanks be to God. So that's part of the assurance that God wants to give you when you come forward for Holy Communion. To be reminded, again, both of the cross, the covering of your sin, but also of, of the future promise of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we find our um, assurance in the word of God, the father, the, 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 um, sacraments are kind of wrappers, physical wrappers around those promises that we find in God's word and around those promises. And thirdly, we look to the witness of God, the Holy spirit for our blessed assurance. And the witness of the Holy spirit comes in two forms. There's an internal form and an external form of the witness of the Holy spirit. Let's begin with the internal form. Now, I've just talked about the importance of not looking uh, to your feelings for our blessed assurance. And the reason for that is because our feelings are kind of up and down. Some of us more than others, some of us are a little, maybe a little more even keel. But um, I know for me, when I look back over the course of my life, there's a lot of up and down. In other words, if you kind of graft how I'm doing on any given day, it might sort of look like the stock market, you know? Um, and you can kind of trace out, you know, things kind of get here, and then something bad happened here. And then it's kind of got a little better than bad happened here and so on and so forth. Um, that's kind of what our feelings can be like. Having said that, the Holy Spirit will do this within you. The Holy Spirit will build over time, over these experiences, a, an increasing assurance. And here's how this happens. You, you go through a difficult time. Again, life is full of, of real difficulties, But then God carries you through it and you realize, you know, I never would have wanted to go through that, but God carried me through it. In fact, he actually used it for my good. And as you have those experiences over and over through your Christian walk, you realize, you know, God really is trustworthy. Now, this is important. I think I find often um, young Christians, new Christians can sometimes get this false idea and, and it's not true, that, that, that when we become a Christian, that somehow God promises us that we won't go through difficult times. That's not true. In fact, Jesus said explicitly, you will have difficult times. But what we discover in the Christian walk is that even through those difficult times, God is faithful. He always brings us through. And as that happens, what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you, he's going to build a confidence, a quiet confidence, an assurance within. So that's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. But there's also an external witness. That is, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives will begin to change how we act. If someone's paying attention to us, they might begin to notice something different about us over the course of time. Now, we talked on the, well, last week about um, how our behavior is not the heart of the Christian faith. You know, being a good person is not the heart of Christianity, but it is the fruit of being a Christian. In other words, the Holy Spirit will begin to change you. Things you might have done before, after the Holy Spirit gets working in here, you might not do those things anymore, or you won't if if they're not of the Spirit, He'll begin to convict you um, and to give you strength to resist temptation. Open with me, um, let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter five, page 975, if you're using the classroom Bible, and let's look at this passage that talks about this. Paul writes this about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, Paul rattles off this whole list of qualities, but but if you look carefully, those of you who are, um, you know, English majors, I'm sort of a an English nincompoop, but but those of you who are attuned to to language, you may have noticed that even though there's this whole list, fruit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is, bracket, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, why do you suppose that is? Why didn't Paul say the fruits of the Spirit are? Any guesses? Why would he do that? How would it be different if he had said the fruits of the spirit are love, joy versus the fruit of the spirit is? That's exactly right. She said it's collective. It encompasses all of it. In other words, don't confuse this with the gifts of the spirit. We'll talk about the gifts of the spirit later. The gifts of the spirit are unique. Um, You've got some gifts that I don't have Jeff. I got some gifts that you don't have. That's not this. The fruit, there is only one fruit of the Spirit. So, in other words, you can't say, well, I I have the fruit of joy and peace. Patience is not really my thing. No, there's only one fruit that the Spirit wants to cultivate in you. This is the fruit, all of it. Now, it is true for some of us, but some of us may struggle more with patience or with faithfulness or with gentleness. It's true that the Spirit might be working Uh, extra hard in those areas, that brokenness in our lives. But all of us are called to grow in this. And my friends, when the Spirit begins to work His change in you, people will begin to notice. That's the external witness of the Holy Spirit as you grow in this fruit. We can imagine the human heart is sort of like a garden. If the garden of the human heart is full of weeds, then it begs the question, is is the great gardener at work in there? But if the gardener of the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, he's going to be at work pulling up those weeds and changing us. So that when the Holy Spirit is at work, over time, we're going to grow both in faith, that is in in our depth of trust, our ability to say in good times and bad times, God is faithful. He's going to get me through this. And um, we will also grow in our obedience. That is our willingness to follow Jesus and to find joy in following him. So this is the tripod, the tripod of the Holy Trinity from which we get our assurance. The work of God, the son on the cross, the word of God, the father written in the Bible and the witness of God, the Holy Spirit. Let me pause there. Questions. Any questions? Okay, hey, here's what I want you all to do when you go, oh, we're just on time, perfect. When you go home, a couple of things. Number one, and I'll email you to remind you, I want you to spend just a little time by yourself reading over these promises and just to ask God to um, speak to you. And, and come next week, maybe ready. Um, I, won't, I won't put anybody on the spot, but, but I might ask if somebody maybe, um, if one of these sort of rose to the top and said, man, that, that really spoke to me. I also want you to um, spend a little time on these reflection questions on the previous page. This is page four. There's that question again. How would you answer someone who says it's arrogant to say, you know, you have eternal life and will be with God forever? What what would you say to such a person? Also, if you were maybe helping to... um, To disciple someone, second question, how would you answer someone who says, I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not a very good one, and sometimes I doubt whether it's all true? What are some things you could say to that person about having blessed assurance? And then, thirdly, before today's discussion, were you aware of the internal and external witness of the Holy Spirit? Have you been able to see examples in your own life of His witness and work in you? So, if you've been on the Christian journey for some time, it might be good to pause and say, you know, I do see where the Holy Spirit's been working on me. Um, Or the Spirit may also raise up in you areas where you say, you know, Holy Spirit, I recognize this is an area where I'm broken, and I'd like you to come and please help me become more like Christ. So spend some time reflecting on both of those. I will email you a copy of these... uh, of these promises, so you're welcome to leave your book if you want to here. Certainly, leave your name tag here. Uh-oh. Um, let me go back. Uh, but but on the other hand, if you'd like to take it with you and sort of scribble some notes, you're welcome to take it with you. Just remember to bring it back. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these your sons and daughters. Um, thank you that in your great love for us, you have called us together for this season of um, exploration of who you are and who you call us to be. And I pray, Lord God, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would set your Holy Spirit upon these, your children, that as we go forth from this place, we might go forth with a blessed assurance, a blessed assurance that comes from the work of your son, from your word written in the Bible, and Lord, from the witness of the Holy Spirit, that we might be a a humbly confident people as we go out into the world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace, you all, and I will see you next week.